I'm Liz Toombs, owner of PDR Interiors and your host for Sorority Chat, the podcast where we talk all things Greek housing, decorating, and beyond. Hello, friends. On today's episode of Sorority Chat, you are going to learn some very specific tactile ways in which you can tell your chapter story through your house. We have Kelly Schillig and Dan Duncan joining us from the Tri-Delta housing team, and they are so skilled. They are experts at telling chapters stories. They have really gotten some great practice over the years in some of the projects that they have done and come up with some very helpful ways that can bring value to the chapter and keeping the history at the forefront and letting chapters know where they've come from and who's been involved and making sure that the information is there and it's not just this picture of a person on the wall that nobody knows who she might be. So I will not delay any further. Let's get over to the episode and hear what they have to say. Thanks for joining us today. I think this is going to be a great conversation. And before we dive into all things related to sorority housing, I want to give you each the opportunity to introduce yourself and just explain in your own words exactly what you do. Awesome. I'll start us off. I'm Kelly Schillig. I'm the Senior Director of Properties for Tri-Delta Housing. I have been with Tri-Delta for about four years now and have the um, privilege of overseeing our team of property managers and our team of facility support specialists um, to really help ensure kind of a turnkey housing experience for, um, gosh, 70, over 70 different Tri-Delta chapters throughout the country. So, been in the industry for about 10 years now. I am an initiate of Alpha Omicron Pi from the University of Kentucky. How I know Liz, um, some jobs ago. So thanks for having us. Yeah. Awesome. I'm Dan Duncan, the Vice President of Housing and Operations for Tri-Delta. I've been in that role about four years now. Um, I oversee the National House Corps for them and also offer support to local house corporations, work a lot with our Tri-Delta Housing Board of Volunteers, This is my third Greek organization. I spent some time at Alpha Gamma Delta and then worked for my own organization. I'm a member of Alpha Sigma Phi, also volunteer as their grand historian. Um, So our topic today is near and dear to my heart that way. Oh yes, that's great. Well, and I love that you used to work for Alpha Gamma Delta because I'm an Alpha Gam from the University of Kentucky. So we have a lot of mutual connections going on here between the three of us. Absolutely. So I guess let's talk a little bit about what brought each of you to the sorority housing world. Obviously you both were Greek in college, but that isn't necessarily just a a given that you jump into housing after that. So talk with me a little bit about what your path looked like to get you here. Oh, wow. I think um, our stories are a little similar. Um, I was diehard in college, right? Like knew I wanted to be a chapter consultant um, and travel for the organization. So found myself right out of college um, doing that. I joked that I lived out of a suitcase. It was, you know, the best of times, the worst of times, so many experiences I wouldn't have otherwise had and really kind of stumbled into housing um, from there. Found myself with an opportunity um, working for AOPI um, in AOPI properties. Um, their model is a little different than Tri-Delta's. Um, so all of the 
chapters were supported um, by staff. So I had a little small portfolio. I was 23 at the time. You can imagine, like, never owned a home myself. Um, so lots of learning on the fly, but um, found that I really enjoyed kind of the business side of this um, and the experience you get to provide. When, when else in your life are you going to live with, like, 50, 60, sometimes 100 of your closest friends? Mm -hmm. um, probably not ever again. So Hopefully um, not, right? Yes, yes, exactly. We can only hope. Um, but so really just enjoyed it and kind of found my niche and um, have just stayed in this world, fortunately. So. Yeah, similar path. Um, I was a hyper-involved collegiate member. If they had a thing, I wanted to do it. Um, that got me to the fraternity staff. I traveled as a leadership consultant for a few years, um, stayed on their permanent staff for a while, um, moved over to Alpha Gam, really doing finance work. I have degrees in finance, okay. operations stuff, all the really sexy, exciting things, insurance. <laughs> um, when Alpha Gamma Delta decided to form a national house corps, that fell most closely into my bucket. And I did sort of two roles for a while, sort of getting their fledgling national house corps off the ground and my operations work. Uh, and then we split and I have always been personally a weekend warrior, big DIY guy, love, love to swing a hammer, love to do a renovation. Um, so I kind of took a leap of faith and went on the housing side and left the operations work behind um, and really just loved that. Uh, the ability to meld my, I come from a family who like renovated for fun on the weekends. What are you guys doing for vacation? Renovating our kitchen. Um, <laughs> So it was a great way to bring my personal interest right up into my professional experience. And when the two things met, it really became a passion for me, so. Oh, that is neat how all of that culminated then, your your experience in college and what you were majoring in, but then also just your, your family life and being able to work on those projects and pulling it all together professionally for you. It was perfect, really perfect. Um, and now, Dan, I don't think you said, did you go to Ohio State? Is that right? Do I have that uh, detail correct? I am an Ohio State grad, yes. Okay, and that's where you are based now, right? Is in Columbus? I can throw a rock and hit Ohio State, yeah. Okay, all right. Are you a big football fan? Do you go to all the games? I am not. I, I must be the only person who went to Ohio State who doesn't care much about football, to be really honest. <laughs> well, for the record, if I had gone to Ohio State, I would also be with you because I don't care about the sport at all. <laughs> so there's that. Um, well, so you talked about being historian, Dan, and so that kind of leads us into today's topic, which is about good practices for archiving and just how you want to display items within the house. And so let's talk a little bit about that. I don't know how you guys want to break this up or where you want to start with things, but I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on best uses for composites, what items you want to show off in archives, how executive office uses archives. Let's just, let's kind of dive into all of that. Yeah, I th first I'd start by saying I think there's a big difference between an archivist and a historian, right? Archivists really dedicated to preservation and holding and preserving items, displaying them. Historians are interested in stories, and I think that's what matters a lot when we do this in buildings. Um, the ability to really help a chapter connect to its history and its story to help the alumni or alumni from that organization connect to the story of the chapter and the national organization really just gives so much richness and meaning to their experience. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how we've started to approach chapter histories when we're working on building renovations. Um, it takes many different forms. Um, maybe one of the easiest things we've done, Kel, is the composite work. I think we've got some really smart ideas about how we've delivered that. Would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. 
course. Um, everybody loves to go back in the house and like see where their composite is, right? Like what floor am I on these days? What wing of the house or what part of the house am I on? And um, as we've started to do this work, I think there are a couple challenges that exist for um, chapters and even house corporations around just the volume, the inconsistency, the different sizing, framing and formatting and um, and frankly, like we've run out of space in the hallways. Um, yeah. So these composites, right, that like people feel this real connection to and want to be able to see themselves um, and, you know, invoke the memories and stories from their collegiate years um, have just landed themselves, you know, sometimes down in the basement storage, um, some of them in better condition than others, right? Um, so as we have started approaching, I would say like major projects, right? Renovations, new construction. Um, we've kind of connected this to a great opportunity to bring the composites kind of back to life, if you will. Um, we've been inventorying them, right? I think that's kind of step one in all of this work, understanding how many you even have. Um, that's, you know, if a chapter, depending on how old they might be, they might have a lot of them. Um, and really kind of taking it from those physical composites to some digital files. Mm -hmm. um, there are really a few different options as you think about it um, for how you might go about digitizing those files, right? I think some of it is also contingent upon like, hey, what do you have to spend? Um, what's your budget? There's certainly the, I would say like super professional route in history IT that exists, right? They can create museums and beautiful displays. Um, there's also, I would say, kind of a DIY route. Um, if your budget isn't as lush or flourishing, um, I'll tell you, we've had a lot of success in like finding local um, folks that can scan and digitize them. Don't get me wrong, it's not like an abundant group that has scanners big enough to do these, but I would say it's also not totally scarce. Mm -hmm. um, so finding, you know, finding someone locally, I think, too, from a ease of like, how do you transport those things, right? Um, we found a lot of success with using someone local to scan um, composites and digitize them for us. Um, and I think that's kind of like the first step, right? Then it's like, okay, what, what do we do now that we have these files, right? You're going to find, um, if you go this route, that, hey, some are in really good condition, some are a little beat up. Um, that's really odd. Like we have you know, the five years around a year, but we can't find 1996 for some reason. Um, so I think that's a great opportunity to kind of evaluate what, um, where you're going to put these in the house, um, how you might display them, I would say tastefully and maybe not wallpaper um, the spaces with them. Oh, we've um, all been in those houses, right, where they've just stacked them like floor to ceiling, right? Like, oh my God, it's a mosaic of composites. They're everywhere. Yeah. It's and become all my colors, life. Oh. All different mats. And yeah, oh, that's yeah. a challenge. But let's cut those out because that is like, wallpaper is a lovely description of exactly how that looks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think, you know, you can take those digital files. Um, you can make them all the same size. You can tone them the same, right? Like maybe there's a tasteful black and white sepia option um, that you go with that um, really is gonna like serve your house well, as opposed to like the composite being what draws your eye. Um, we've been using local frame shops to get them framed as well. Again, consistently, um, we've all seen them, right? There's composites through the ages of like, we all use the same fabric in our photos and there's some consistency to the like, there's literally all different colors in these composites. Um, I also think as you think about volume, like 
I don't know, Dan, one of the things we ran, kind of ran into is like, which ones do you display and which ones you don't? Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you think about, right, most members typically are on a composite every four years. Well, pull, you know, two or three from a decade and you're still going to be able to capture everyone. They might ha not have all four years um, up on the wall, but they'll still be able to come and find themselves, right, when they come back for homecoming or bring their children and show them, they're still going to have the opportunity um, if you're not able to display them all, right, to um, still come come find that photo of theirs that I think means a lot to them. And once you have them digitized, right, your collegiate chapters can do so many things with them. Um, we, we ran them at a house dedication on a um, screen, right, just like year over year, and people got to come in and take a peek and see what year they were on and watch for, you know, a decade later, two decades later when they might be up on the screen. Um, so I think it's just a great way, you know, when you do a project or invest in the building, you want to put things back up that feel good and feel consistent with the style of the home. Um, and I think if you're willing to, you know, invest a little bit of time and resources that the composites that might feel haphazard um, or overwhelming to begin with can um, really, you know, help help show that chapter's history and the growth on campus. The one other thing I'll mention is we had some success at one host institution. You might find like that they're willing um, to digitize these for you and even store them in their archival records mm -hmm. um, that we kind of, I would say, lucked into it at like virtually no cost. Um, and, and they're our storage solution, right? So um, before you start going down a path of like, hey, what's the best way to digitize these? Um, you also might think about reaching out. I think that connection was perhaps through the library um, that we had. So lots of different opportunities for how you might help your composites, you know, feel like they fit in the house and um, a little less like wallpaper. That's, that's true. And so then if you are going about it in a facility where you're saying, okay, we're pulling two per decade, then are you, is it a hard and fast rule for you that you have a television or a monitor set up somewhere that you could go through and sort through all of them? Or is that on a case by case basis? Or, you know, how do you all approach that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, we haven't yet gone so far as to put a television and set set it up running all the time. Okay. Um, we typically do that during events or you know special moments for the chapter. Um, but we've seen right. I've toured. I was just in a house like a week or two ago, and they had that television. That's certainly an option too. Um, I do think there's something special about having like the physical some physical composites in the house yes. um, and not just you know, one display of all of them, but I think there's a, a good balance to be had there. So no hard and fast, really. It's kind of a house to house specific based on what works. Um, well, and I think that's fair because every chapter is going to have a little bit of a different opinion on how they want to approach it. And the facility will be different too. Wall space is, is vastly different from project to project. I had a project at um, Oklahoma State where we were limiting the number of composites we were putting on the wall. We were using the rule that you said, take a couple per decade, spread them out specifically upstairs in the bedroom hallways. But the alumni were very adamant. They wanted to be able to come back and still pull their composite, their physical composite when they came back for events. And so the way that that house core board solved that problem was they created a storage room and it had this grid storage shelf. And so, you know, each slot, if you can imagine like a cookie sheet um, tray 
slot cabinet. It was like that, but they were large enough for the composites. And then they went through and they put them in chronological order and labeled what years. So if you want to come back and find that 1996, by all means, go up to the closet, pull it out, see it, take your pictures and then slide it right back in. And I thought that was a really organized way to keep those and then make everybody happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd add two things to your really good explanation there. Um, I think we've had a lot of luck. You know, you, you encounter these things and there's always one or two that are damaged in addition to missing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You get the one that like, oh my gosh, that one, that one little photo has fallen down to the bottom. Um, when you digitize them, right, it's a great opportunity to have those things repaired, um, to turn them and put the photos back or to erase, like water damage seems to be a really common thing, right? Once they're digitized, you can just through the magic of, of uh, computers can take out the stains and the and the disfigurement in some of those areas and really return a composite to service that was not workable before. Yeah. I love that uh, angle. And then as a former member of a fraternity who might have occasionally entered a sorority home and borrowed a composite or two, once they're digitized and framed and printed, when they grow feet and walk away or become broken perhaps, um, it is so easy to replace them then a simple reprint, a simple reframe, and you've got that composite back and it's not lost forever. And I love the replaceability of that, right? And nobody knows, uh, ex except maybe the house director and the house core board that it, it walked away. So being able to not just preserve and present that stuff, but replace it as it moves uh, through time really excites me as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I can appreciate the the realistic view of that and when, when things walk away. So, I mean, based on what you are both saying, it doesn't sound like physical composites will be going anywhere anytime soon. Digitizing is just a kind of a secondary support to that. Is that right? I think that's fair. I think people really enjoy the nostalgia of coming back to see, you know, what is perceived as your composite, something more permanent than an image on a screen. Boy, do we live in a world where an image on a screen is very familiar to a lot of folks right now, but there's something pretty awesome about being able to point at something on a wall and know that it's permanently displayed there, air quotes around permanent. Um, I think it matters that that we're doing it that way sometimes. And I, I do think it helps connect a chapter to their story and their history. And it's, I would much rather come back and find my face on a wall than my face in a digital file somewhere in a PowerPoint slide. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's fair. So you've talked a couple times about the chapter's story. So other than composites, what are some ways that you all at Tri-Delta Housing try to convey that story for the chapter? Gosh, it's different. You know, every chapter is so different and their story is so different and their history is so different. The most fun for me uh, is when we're working with a chapter that has a really great story and a really long story, right? The older, the better from my perspective. Um, and it's a real mix of people and the house as part of the story and university happenings and events as part of the story, rechartering's, reactivations, significant milestones and anniversaries. And I think we've done a really good job, not just of telling the chapter component of that, but the people component of that, right? We're organizations powered by people. Um, people are what we do here. So being able to identify some key alumni from that organization, and that can be, when I say key, I mean like national service, that maybe they were fraternity or sorority officers, served in a volunteer role or a staff role or something prominent for a long time, as well as there's always some local heroes, right, that are known so well locally that don't get remembered and thought about necessarily, you know, uh, 
if that stuff isn't written down and displayed, sometimes the longer we are from that person departing, the more difficult it is to keep track of, of their history and record and service. Mm -hmm. So we've taken the opportunity to really start to understand um, what might be important. And we're doing now saving space in chapter houses for gallery walls, um, where we can display not just sort of flat pictures, black and whites, but also like stories of things, newspaper clippings, um, prominent members from the chapter. And I've seen these done before where you get all the pictures up and you don't really give enough words. It doesn't make anything. It does, there's no meaning. Here's a dead person on the wall. She's got an eight by 10. She's beautiful. Well, terrific. But who was she and what did she do? And why is she on the wall? Um, here's a series of people, right? Who she was grand Pumbaa. Well, terrific. What does that mean? And how did it connect? And why did it matter? Um, so beyond just, you know, little small plaques that have the title or the role, we've started to do some research. We have a great archivist on our staff uh, at Tri-Delta, and she's been able to provide us backstories, right, from historical documents, from communications about who these women were and why they mattered. She was the first recruitment chair nationally for Tri-Delta. She helped establish the partnership with our national philanthropy. Wow, that's so much more meaningful to a person trying to learn about the Tri-Delta chapter at that location or trying to decode the glossy black and white picture in front of them. Um, and it's fun to watch their eyes light up when they go, when it, it matters and connects for them. Oh, she started the St. Jude partnership? Yeah, and from your chapter, somebody who walked in the same house that you're walking in went on to do this really great thing for Tri-Delta and for the world. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So much more meaningful than here's Gladys and her glossy eight by 10. So it's a good big mixture of people and storytelling. Um, having the resources organized so you can actually find the stories is a huge part of that. We're just so fortunate to have an on-staff archivist and an organized archive where we can locate those things. My volunteer role, right, with my fraternity is not quite as good. It is not as good uh, as that. So I've kind of lived both sides of that. Um, in addition to gallery walls, then um, telling the story of the chapter. Every chapter starts somewhere. Who founded them? How were they founded? Where were they founded? Who did the work? What have the ups and downs been? You know, every chapter walks a journey, just like a person. What has the journey been for the chapter? And then finding memorabilia, newspaper clippings, newsletters. Um, we have been so fortunate to find letters back and forth between founders of chapters and the national staff, right? And putting those under the pictures. Here's a copy of the woman's signature. Here's the chartering petition for the organization with their hand, handwritten signatures. That stuff is so fun and I think so interesting and just makes meaning, right? When you say the chapter was founded in 1892, yeah, the chapter is founded in 1892 by these eight amazing people who lived and breathed just like you do today and here are their signatures and here are their stories. I think that's so much richer and more interesting. Um, so we've saved spaces in our chapter houses to do archival walls when it's possible. Um, we've tried to dig on the biographical side to really find backstories on people and display that information. Um, it's amazing how much a little, and you know this, Liz, how much a little cleaning and polishing will do for something, right? So many times we find a, a, a junky lump of something, right? And go, ooh, what is that? I wonder if that's a thing. And the more you clean, right? And the more you polish and the more you connect, eventually you go, oh my gosh, this is the trophy from the year that we did the thing. Or yes. this is the recognition for that alum who's been dead for 50 years for whom the room is named after. Mm -hmm. um, the original dinner bell, right? Or like the plaque from the front door that's always been there. Yeah, and some of it is just in bad repair and not, not great. And a little spit and polish goes a long way towards getting those things back and making them really show worthy. 
Um, and you know, once they're gone, they're gone. So really being able in that moment to preserve them and restore them and get them, you know, into a good situation where they have meaning again is so important in that moment, I feel. Yeah, I, I love your explanation for all of that. And, you know, as you said, the farther that you are removed from whoever that initial person was, the story gets lost. And so that's a way to, to keep it interesting and engage all of your current and future members coming in. Um, and I kind of use the phrase, the why behind the what. I use that a lot. And that's exactly what you're describing is the why and the, the history behind the what of the chapter existing. So yeah, I like that very much. Well, so if somebody is listening and they're a collegian or a house core board member and they're like, we have all this stuff, like I don't really know what to do with it. We have it boxed up, shoved out of the way. What's some advice you would give them about starting to dig through it and determine what to use and how to use it? Do you have any good tips there? Oh, I, I think we could certainly come up with some, <laughs> some quick tips here. Um, first, uh, Gosh, I have 10 things jump to mind. I'll try and take them in no certain order. First, I'd say um, there are some things that are part of your story that don't really have much value and don't really add much. Um, I think of like the citations that we get every year, right? It's the Greek Awards Banquet. Here come the 12 paper citations. We had the best runner-up philanthropy program in September of 2001. Mm -hmm. That's terrific. That should be preserved and kept in a box somewhere. It probably doesn't belong on an archives wall. It does not add richness or depth to your story. There's also such a quantity of those things that, you know, is that one really special? No, it belongs in a box. The same is true for the plaques, right? Everybody's got the brass press board plaque, 2001 silver cup Greek awards banquet. Terrific. Um, probably not that exciting. Put that in a box and store it. Um, I would say things that are treasure troves for us are like scrapbooks, certain scrapbooks. Every scrapbook ever made, probably not that interesting. Not many visitors are going to sit down and flip through several thousand pages of scrapbooks uh -huh. to see where the date party was in 1984. Um, keep it, but check through them, right? We found some great things um, in scrapbooks that we're able to pull out. In addition to clean and repair, the thing that I forgot to say was copy and present, mm -hmm. right? So we're, when we're displaying, we're generally not displaying originals. Um, we're taking really high quality digital scans of those original things and then reframing them just like the composite thing, right? When they're damaged or sun bleached, um, when they, you know, accidentally bump off a wall, we haven't shattered an original irreplaceable thing. We can easily re, you know, reprint that and put it right back in a frame and get it back up. Um, what else quick tips, Kelly? What would you say? I, I, I will say like, I think there's a time investment into this work, um, but from a financial perspective, if someone's like, you know, an archival gallery to me on first, a, like sound, right? Feels formal and expensive and like something else on, on top of a, you know, project or construction budget. Um, as you collect those things and write and share a story, I would say like, we've been able to do these like pretty cost effectively. Um, couple hundred bucks, right? Like you're, if you're willing to take the time and, you know, polish and clean some, you know, the original exterior letters to display them um, with a story about the chapter and a story about the house and, you know, a couple tidbits about some of the notable alumni. Um, you can do this, I would say, like probably for a couple hundred bucks, frankly, um, not thousands and thousands of dollars or um, any sort of huge financial um, commitment from my perspective. So to me, that makes this, especially if I'm in a local house course shoes, right? Like 
makes this um, palatable or, you know, kind of easier to chew um, from my perspective. I certainly think so too. I appreciate you bringing that up because there is always this unknown of, well, this is a great idea, but how much does it actually cost to execute or how much time am I going to have to invest in it? So I appreciate you sharing that. And Dan, I feel compelled to say, I did not pay you to say those things about do not put out the paper certificates and the plaques because it's like you reached into my brain and stole my thought because I constantly have this conversation at the different houses of you tell me what awards are really vital and pertinent and, and support your chapter and elevate it and which ones are the most recent. And then let's just tuck all the others away. And I'm not going to worry about displaying those because those paper certificates really clutter things up. Yeah, I don't think they add a lot to the story. I totally agree. No. Um, I had another thought for you. I think one of the things that we've really had success with is, you know, that old design principle on grouping like things alike. Yes. I've been in houses before where they use the archival material as decor, mm -hmm. right? Here's a trophy from 1930 on the coffee table. And here's the, the old exterior letters that have been melted down into something fun. And that's on the mantle. And in the next room, we have a piece in the corner and there's a plaque over here. I think that really is a miss uh, from a design perspective and from a story perspective. I feel like we've got this opportunity with gallery walls and locations to really help the viewer understand what we're trying to tell them um, and help add meaning and gravitas to a situation instead of it feeling like, oh, there's a pretty thing or an old thing. Um, you know, seeing one or two or three or four of those in the context of a bigger room spread out and used as decor, I think you miss really the significance and the storytelling of being able to put it in one place and tell a viewer, this is where our history lives and here's our story. Lean in, this is our museum. You're really gonna have a chance to understand more about our organization and its members and our chapter and their history instead of it feeling more like decor pieces, which by nature don't have as much value as archival pieces, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is a very valid point and very sound advice. Yeah. What else? You said you had 10. Do you, you wanna keep going through your list? <laughs> well, it's 10 mental things, right? Which is really um, um, Ellie, what are you thinking? We've done so many of these. I'm, I, I, this is less about setting up the archival gallery, but I do think, you know, we about 18 months ago started embarking on this idea and concept around um, virtually capturing the chapter houses, running a 360 camera. And like, because you build an archival gallery that has all like and similar things in the same place, um, and because of how these, the cameras and the technology works these days that like, even if I'm not standing at the house in front of the archival gallery, if I have the virtual tour. I mean, you could walk up to the, a wall in the Tri-Delta Butler house on your screen and still be able to read and see the stories and the photos at the same level of detail, which you can see in person. Um, so I think that's really cool, especially for the alumni who've moved on or are further away, right? And don't get back to the house. I I do, Dan, feel like we kind of, like this was an unintentional stumble upon dream. Like a number of projects ago, number of years ago, we had what Dan was explaining to begin with, some black and white photos, some original photos of, of the house before it was torn down and rebuilt uh, or added on to, right? And like, Suddenly, you know, we're at the house dedication um, or we're hosting an alumni event to celebrate the campaign that supported it. And like, I think we looked at each other and we're like, all these people are congregating here, right? And there are these 
photos and they're beautiful, but people were asking us like, who are these people? Or when, when was this photo taken of the house? Um, and, and we didn't know. And, um, it felt like a great opportunity to make meaning, um, and share the story as Dan has talked about. Yeah. So many times I'm sure you've done this Liz, right? You get this amazing archival piece. Here's this set of 15 silver spoons with the letters on it, right? They're displayed in a beautiful shadow box. We spent a lot of money on framing and you look at it and go, spoons, cool. And then when you're renovating, you turn that piece over, right? And there's a written piece that somebody has scotch taped to the back of that thing 50 years ago that explains that those spoons were a wedding gift from the founder of the organization to the first member of the chapter holy smokes, why is it taped on the back and rotting scotch taped, right? Yeah. So I think we've also adopted the idea that everything gets a caption. It doesn't matter if clearly it's the chapter newsletter from 1927. We put a frame underneath it and type chapter newsletter 1927 because people just won't, right, be able to access the story unless it's got a frame and you've really made meaning for them. Same thing is true on the biography side with people. Um, you can say so-and-so held this title from this date to this date and this date to this date and this date to this date. That's terrific. When you also say she gave 50 years of her life to the organization, right, was the driving force behind the construction of this chapter home that you're standing in today and built the chapter from eight women to more than 2,000 today. Wow, that's so much better than, right, just the, so not only does it have to be labeled and have the information, but you've got to make meaning of the information too. Tell people what it means. Yes. Yes, I agree. You don't want to have to have them pull things off the wall and see if that story is taped to the back. What you're are right. Spoons, right. Oh, you're so right. I, I really thought about the spoons, Dan. That was a true story. Spoons yeah. don't have a true tridelta meaning. It's not one of your symbols that you put out there, those emblems. Oh, gosh. Well, Kelly, you talked about those virtual tours. And I know the Tridelta account on LinkedIn shares those tours often. And I follow. And so the design geek in me loves seeing those and loves being able to walk through and just get inspiration and, and see what you all have done with the house. So kudos to you guys, because I think that's a really neat element. Yeah, Thanks. we love those things. And they're not super expensive. I'm actually amazed at how far that technology has come. And it's like Google Maps right inside the chapter house. That's the really fun thing. You can click and walk and look up and look down. So amazing. Yes, I'm starting to see more of those tours. Um, there's a, a doc that I follow at Lake Cumberland and they start to show their rentals that way too. So it, I think it is becoming a more widespread tool that's being utilized. Well, and Liz, just think like when the decorator leaves all the things and then recruitment happens, like, and everybody's like, where, where do things go back to? How do we reset this? Right? Like what a perfect like moment in time capture so that they can keep yeah. the house looking its best. And, you know, the, the side chairs are actually where they belong and aren't pushed up against a wall because they've done that tour. So. Yes. Cause I like to live in um, a virtual reality of no one moves anything, but um, you know, just <laughs> denial, denial over here. <laughs> But you're right, that is a digital version of like a floor set map, like a, that a storefront would have. That's a way that folks can go back and reference and say, oh, this is where I place things. So I think that's really a good move. So yeah. Well, Dan and Kelly, thank you so much for being willing to come on and spend some time talking with me. I love the ideas that you all shared. And I know that the listeners are getting a lot of um, creative juices flowing now just based off of, of your, your ideas. Well, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, Liz. Great to see you. Thanks. Good to see you.